we have been walking through the book of James this summer. Uh, and just to get you excited for the fall, in the fall we're going to be looking at Exodus, studying the life of Moses. Uh, and so we're wrapping up this summer with James. We're in James 4 this morning. So James 4, 1 through 12, I would title this The War Within. Uh, the War Within, um, James 4, 1 through 12. And uh, there's, there's three things I want you to see. I want you to see uh, symptoms in this passage. I want you to see uh, the diagnosis, and I want you to see the remedy. Uh, you're going to see all that wrapped up into this. And it, it's not clearly outlined. I wish I could just say verse 1, symptoms, verse 2, uh, diagnosis, verse 3, remedy. But it, it's kind of all intertwined, which I think in life it's a lot like that. Um, I know in counseling it's a lot like that. People will come to me for counsel and they'll say, here's my problem. It's really not a problem. It's really a, uh, uh, just maybe it's a symptom of a problem. The problem's something deep down inside. Uh, and so um, we're in chapter 4 this morning. Let me just stop and pray that God would uh, give us his grace and wisdom to understand this passage and apply it to our lives. Father, this morning we um, know that you are the one true God. Um, we know that this is your word you left us with that we can trust. And this morning, this is such an important passage. Every one of us can identify with this passage in some way. And Father, I, I, I beg, I plead that you'd be so kind and merciful to us to help us to stay focused, um, that we would hear from your Holy Spirit, that we'd be convicted of our sin, that we would be encouraged to how you're working our lives. Well, we want to leave here changed. I, I know I don't want to come uh, week after week leaving the same man that I am um, when I came. I, I want to be changed. I know that's the hearts of so many men and women here. We want to be changed. We want to reach the city for you. Uh, Lord, we know that the only way that's going to happen is through your help, that we would be a light to the city and the only way that we can be a light is when we are uh, submitting to your word, that we are surrendering our lives to you. So, Lord, may we just give you um, our best this morning, and I pray this in Christ's name, amen. So, when you see where James has been going, like chapter 3, he started out talking about teachers. Now, many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for we know that those of you who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Then he starts talking about your tongue, how you speak. Uh, and then we tie that in with how Jesus says, you know, what you speak actually comes from your heart. And so this idea that your heart, it, it, it's producing your words. And, and then last week we saw that, that the wise man uh, lives a certain way. The foolish man lives a different way. And you see that um, wherever you see things like jealousy and selfish ambition... Uh, th those, are, those are from the world's wisdom, um, and that's not from the wisdom from above. Here in chapter 4, he continues this idea of, of um, uh, this battle going on, um, that's why I entitled this The War Within, uh, that there's still this battle taking place. We saw last week that there is like this chaos and disorder. Um, this week he brings up the, 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 the mouth again, the tongue, and so... This is kind of the bookend passage from chapter 3. So this will be the backside of how he's connecting these, these thoughts and tracing all this together. Uh, I just want to say this is a passage that I use often when I counsel. This really gets out to the heart of man. Who is mankind? Why do we do what we do? Uh, have you ever been in a disagreement with someone? Have you ever had uh, um, uh, just problems getting along? Um, uh, you ever fought with anyone? You know, if you're married, you're obviously going to say yes. If you've ever been in a relationship, you're going to say yes. If you've ever been a child, you're going to say yes because you disagree with your parents. You fought at times. Teenage years, we're just now getting to that stage of parenting, and I know it's coming, uh, but we've all had this, and that's where he starts in verse 1 with this question. He says, what causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? 
And, you know, the answer to a lot of us, for a lot of us, we would say, uh, well, it's because that, that, that person doesn't know how to drive, my boss is an idiot, uh, they, you know, they don't understand what I'm going through, um, my wife has ruined our marriage, my husband has ruined the finances. That's what causes quarrels and fights among us. Well, James would give you maybe a little different answer. He, he, he would challenge you a little bit. He would listen real intently and empathize with you and your suffering. Um, but he might lean in and say, hey, you know, part of this is not so much what's outside of us. You know, that person, this situation. But James would want you to see that the war is not outside of us, but within us. And so he continues, what causes quarrels and fights among us? Is it not this? I love when Scripture gives us answers. Could have just left us there with that question and we'd all be wondering. But he gives us the answer. He says, is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. That there's this battle taking place inside the human body. Now remember, who is he writing to? He's writing to Christians who have been exiled. They're scattered about. But we know that they're Christians. And so this is so important for us. This is not lost people. This is Christians, godly people who have the Holy Spirit, but yet there's still a battle going on within us. So there's some, just some simple doctrine we need to understand. I say simple. It's so complex, but it's at least in some ways simple to understand. So we all start out um, without the Holy Spirit indwelling inside us. We all start out apart from God. We all start out on our way to hell. Uh, at the moment of salvation, something happens. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives. And from that moment, from God's perspective, um, and, and there's a number of verses that I could show us today. From, from God's perspective, in that moment, He can speak at a, of, our, of our salvation as past tense. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Past tense. It's already happened. It's already been done. Uh, for those whom he's predestined, he's called. Those who's called, he's justified. Those he's justified, he's glorified. Past tense. And so at that moment, you're saved, and God says it's already done because he knows he's going to keep you. He's going to persevere your life. But we also have to understand that there's still the now and not yet. The now is that from God's perspective, we're saved, but there's the not yet of sanctification that's happening in our lives. That what Scripture says is the old man is still around. Now, we know we have victory in Christ. The old man is dead, defeated. We stand victorious today. But yet that old man is still just like prowling around. He, he's still fighting against us. That's why Christians still mess up. That's why the church is just not for the perfect. It's for the broken who realize that they're broken. There's no perfect person in here today. I, and I just want to let you know you're not looking at one. I'm broken. I, God is still working in my life. I still sin against my wife, my family. Some of you, you've experienced where I've sinned against you. God's not done with me. I, I reconcile. I try to repent. When I realize I've sinned against people, I, I try to reconcile. And so here's this, there's passions at war within us. So this is for the Christian that there's this battle going on. You've probably seen it in cartoons or movies where you see like this, the angel you on this shoulder, then the little devil you on this shoulder, and there's this battle going on. There. Don't do it. No, do it. Do it. Don't do it. Do it. That's this battle going on within us. And we all face it. And you all have different battles. There's all different things that's fighting for your attention. That for you over here, that it's this thing, but this person doesn't struggle with that at all. You have your own issues and battles and struggles, these temptations that you don't face, but you've got these other things that they don't face. And so there's these desires inside us, and that's where James leads us. And this is why it's such an important passage for me when I use the counsel, just to get to your heart. James says, this is not your passion, so there's this war going on. And then verse 2, this is, so symptoms would be like fighting, you know, quarreling, 
That's symptoms. But that's not the real problem. That's symptoms of the problem. So the diagnosis would be in verse 2. You desire and do not have. So you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Uh, I want you to see how profound this one verse is for us, especially in our culture today. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. When you see you desire and you covet, so there's these needs that you would say that you have, these things, these desires, and they're unmet, and it, and it pushes you to murder um, or to fight and quarrel. And I just want you to see how, how deep and profound this is, and at the same time, how simple we are. Uh, you, uh, it doesn't matter if I counsel a child or somebody who's 70, this is where I'm ultimately going to get to. I'm going to get to their hearts. What's desiring? What, what do they desire? What motivates them? What beliefs do they have that's inside their heart that's just resting there, that, that's not being met? And so let me just show you how this works. You desire and do not have, so you murder. I want to just take on a really touchy topic right now. Uh, and I hate that it's even touchy. It shouldn't be touchy, but I know in a group this size, some of you, this is going to stir some of you, and you're going to get upset, and I'm, I'm fine with that, um, but I want you to see um, just this idea of abortion, okay? Let's just run with that uh, topic for a moment. I know it's, it's a hot, hotbed topic right now, uh, just abortion. You desire and do not have, so you murder. Think of all the reasons given why um, someone would have an abortion. Uh, you know, it, it, and, and let me just give the, the just real common ones. Uh, I'm just not ready. Um, um, financially, I'm not, I'm not ready just in my stage of life. Like I want to go out and see things in life. Um, or financially, we're not ready. There's no way, you know, we're struggling right now. There's no way I can take on a child. Um, uh, I, I desire um, just, you know, my, my, my profession. Like, I just can't do this profession and take on a child right now. Uh, you know, those are some common, common reasons. Uh, and I want you to see how, like, wrapped up in that is this desire. I desire these things. Uh, they're not going to get met. Having a ch child is not convenient. It's not financial uh, uh, gain towards you. Uh, and, and you can't do everything that you once did before you had a child, when you were single. And so you had those desires. Those desires are, are now gone or, or not met. And, and so you murder. Um, and so when I think of abortion, James 4.2 is such a clear picture for me of what's happening in a person's life. Fighting and quarreling, you, you covet and can obtain. So maybe you covet uh, that person's car or that, that position. This is a lot of what he tied in last week about being jealous or selfish ambition, about pursuing this career. These things you, you covet after and you, don't, you can't obtain them, so you fight and quarrel. Um, I've shared this story before. Um, this was years ago. I was on campus ministry. Uh, for those of you who know me, I desire for my life to be easy. Anybody with me? You just like when things just go well. Like you have checklists, and if those checklists are met, then life is good. If everybody just listened to you, this world would be a better place, right? Anybody with me? Uh, and, and what James might say to you is like, what you really mean is if you have control, okay, you might have a control issue, okay, but so several years ago, I'm in a hurry, I'm running late, and uh, I don't do well late. I like to be early, I like control, convenient, ease, okay? Uh, 
uh, and I am heading to campus, and as I'm pulling out of our house, uh, I'm at a, a traffic light. It's Hal Greer, Baskin Robbins, and I need to turn left to go on Hal Greer to get to campus. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an arrow, and the lady in front of me um, won't turn, okay? And it's green, and, I, and I'm like, man, I just wish she would go. I'm late, and I feel myself just like getting angry. Um, and I, but I'm like, you guys know, like I'm not like this very, you know, wrathful person. Uh, and so like I don't want to just honk at her. You know, I'm a pastor, so I'm trying to be a pastor, but yet I'm, I want to be late. I'm trying to get her attention, and, and so I just want to honk, uh, and I just wish like there were like two horns. Like, I'm angry and just like, hey, pay attention, and, and I would just, you know, just pay attention. I'm not mad at you yet, but, and so then like the arrow changes, and it's just now just a green light, and she still won't go, and then I notice the license plate is from, from Ohio. Now, and so if you're from West Virginia, you know that like, okay, uh, it's a Ohio plate, uh, and, and, and it's a woman driver, and so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I find myself just getting angry. Why doesn't she just go? She has no idea what she's doing. She shouldn't even be driving. This is going through my thoughts. And... Uh, she finally, I, I don't know if she's going, like she realized she's in the wrong lane. She gets over and she just goes straight. And, you know, I, I make my turn and I get about a few blocks and the Holy Spirit just comes upon me and just says, this is my own interpretation, you're such a jerk. <laughs> and uh, he said, you have no idea what was going on in her life. Uh, she could have, I mean, she could have been passed out from some medical condition um, you, she, she could have been, you know, an elderly lady, not, you're just confused. You, you got angry, and, and this, this verse came to my mind. You desire and do not have, so you murder. When Jesus is given his Sermon on the Mount, uh, he reminds us that we murder all the time. Jesus says, you don't have to physically kill anyone to murder them, that, that hatred for someone, Jesus says, is, is murder. And I realized that she could have been my sister in Christ. She may have needed help, and I murdered her that day because I was angry at her. And the Holy Spirit just really hit me, just reminded me of, I've got these desires in me that when they weren't met, I, I realize that, that, that there's this war going on and when my desires aren't met, that it's bad for the, for the enemy. So I just want you to understand desires for a moment. Desires in and of themselves aren't sinful. All right, you understand that it is not wrong, sinful to desire uh, convenience in your life. I think God wants that. God's a God of order. He doesn't want your life to be in chaos. So he wants your home to be in order. He wants your life to be in order. So that's a good desire to have. He wants you to desire friendships, to desire relationships, community. That's a good desire to long to be with people. Desire to have a good job. There's nothing wrong with that desire. Desire to have a, a wife or a husband, to have children. Those things aren't bad and sinful. I want you to see the wickedness of man here. I want you to see how wicked we are. Our desires, and I love this picture. I learned this years ago from a guy named Robert Jones. He's a professor at Southeastern Seminary. He talked about our desires. Picture a staircase. Our desires can grow legs and walk up the staircase. And at the top of the staircase is this throne where Christ reigns supreme in your life. And that's where he should be. What happens, though, is our desires, they grow legs, and they begin to go up the staircase, and they take Christ off the throne, and they go up on the throne. And so that day, years ago, in my heart, convenience and comfort was the Lord of my heart, not Jesus. And so when comfort and convenience were not met, I murdered. 
They became unruling desires in me. And so our desires can become demands. And so when our desires start demanding things from us, that's when we know they've, they've become uh, uh, just out of place. And so here are three questions that I uh, learned years ago that helped me to see if my desires um, have become demands. And I, I use these to counsel myself. Number one, does it consume my thoughts, your desires? Does your, do your desires consume your thoughts? Is that all you think about? Do I just got to have this thing, like a new gadget? You know, when the latest thing comes out, is that all you think about? Then that might be this crazy desire, that, that, that thing, whatever it's going to promise you. Like every desire is going to give you this, maybe this promise, like, the new iPhone, okay, what's it going to promise you? Well, my life's going to be so much more convenient. Uh, it's going to make everything easy. Or, 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 or maybe it's um, status, like if I have this phone, then people will think like, oh, wow, look at him. Uh, and, and so I got to have it because then people will see how, you know, it's, it's the newest car, uh, wh- whatever it may be. So I got, I got to have it consuming me. I think about it all the time. Second question. Do I sin to get it? So this could be I desire approval of others. There's, that's not sinful in and of itself. Like I, I want my wife like, to like me, to enjoy being around me. Um, I want you guys to enjoy um, my company. But does it lord over me in such a way to where I will sin to get your approval? Meaning that I will... You know, I, I will lie, I will, you know, twist the truth a little bit to make myself look better. Um, so that, you know, you, oh, wow, look at him. Like, wow, he's wonderful. He's great. He always has the best stories. So why lie and twist, you know, the truth so that I win your approval? So that's me sinning to get your approval. Do I sin to get it? Third question, do I sin when I don't get it? So that would be the case for me that day back in the, in the car. I desired convenience and comfort, but I didn't get convenience. I had a, a person who didn't know what they were doing in front of me. And, and, and when that was met and I didn't get it, murder happened that day. I murdered her because I had a hatred for her. Does this make sense? This is what's going on inside every one of you um, whether you're a Christian or not, if you're not a Christian, you're just, this is just crazy rage war, uh, and, and in some ways, it's, it, there's not a battle because you, you're just desiring all these things, and you don't have godly desires, but if you are a Christian, you have these good desires, and then, but then there's these other things that are growing legs and growing up and taking Christ off the throne and becoming the Lord of your life. And so, man, there's so many things in this room men and women, older and younger, that there's just a multitude of desires here this morning. But there's this war going on in every one of you. It could be at work that, that you're, you know, these needs aren't being met with, could be convenience and comfort at work. And you've got a coworker, it slows you down. And, 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 and it, but it could also be approval of others. They slow you down and you want to be, look, you know, better than them and it's not being met, and it happens in marriages and parenting. Uh, I shared a few weeks ago about that, just how there's a war in the evenings when our kids go to bedtime within me, because I desire convenience and comfort and ease, and bedtime's not any of those things. So it's crazy to think, like, we've been, our kids have been bathing for years, but it's like every night, it's like a new thing. Like, what? Really? And, and, it, and it just shows me that my heart, like, is just wicked. And I just need to surrender every day and say, Lord, I need you. I, I know you're doing a work in my life, but there's a battle taking place, and I just, I need your help. So this is the diagnosis. And then we see just our wickedness here in, in verse, um, the end of verse 2, end of verse 3. He says, you do not have. Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. 
And so here's this picture that God wants to give you things to help further his kingdom. And you take those things that he wants to give you, and now you're using them against him. Um, and he gives us a picture here, a metaphor in verse 4, of how this is working. In verse 4, uh, he says, you adulterous people. And so he uses this metaphor here of marriage. And all throughout the New Testament, even the Old Testament, we see this kind of marriage language. Where in the Old Testament, God was the husband, Israel was the bride. We see this in Jeremiah 3, verse 20, how God relates to uh, the Jews. So let's, let's look at this together, Jeremiah 3, verse 20. He says, surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. Okay, so let's go back to James 4.4. 4. So you adulterous people. So he brings this idea of marriage here. So this way he's saying, this would be the picture here of you do not have because you don't ask, you ask um, and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your own passions. This would be like um, me giving possessions to my bride and then she using those possessions. Let's say I bought her a new car and she takes that car and she go meets another man in that car. This is what James is trying to get us to see what we do. God gives us things, and then we take those good gifts that he's given us, and then scripture would say we whore around, that's the language he uses in Hosea, that we cheat, we commit adultery on him with all the things he's given us, that he's given us all these possessions, or materials, or things, gifts, and we take those good gifts from him, and then we use them uh, as we cheat against him on these other things. And we all do this. I'm, I'm guilty. I am adulterer this morning. I've committed adultery. As we look at this, and Jesus says that we are the bride of Christ, that you're a bride. If, if you are in Christ, then you're the bride of Christ. Christ is the groom. And every time we run away from him, to something in the world that we've committed adultery. We've not been faithful spouses. You see where James is going? And, and this is just terrible news, right? This is awful news. If we just search our hearts this morning, we've all run away from the Lord. And as we've done that, James is trying to get you to see that you've committed adultery. God's been so faithful. He's been this faithful husband. So kind and generous to us that he found us dirty and broken and he, he brought us in. He's made us new. And then we look at him and we spit his face and we run away from him. We take all the things he's given us and we go cheat on all these things that never is going to fulfill us. These desires that we talked about. So things like, you know, some, some of us have, you know, different desires. Could be desire for wealth, um, status. Um, could be relational gain. And we think, man, if we just had those, then we'll be satisfied. And the, and the Lord's just saying, no, 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 I, come to me if you want to be satisfied. Don't go, don't go after those things. Don't, no, trust me. Don't, don't leave me. And yet we, we, we look at him and, 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 and these desires, they just, they, they become so demanding. And we leave and we go chase after these other things. And we leave God just there. That's who we are. That's the picture that James is painting. Bad news for us. Bad news. He calls us adulterous people. And he says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Realize, you, there's no neutral ground here. There's only two, two places. 
if you have friendship with the world, then you're an enemy of God. If you have friendship with God, and just realize, you can be a friend of God. Some of you need to hear that truth this morning. You're so lonely and depressed, and you want community, you want relationships, but like, they're just not where they are. Like, you just can't find that friend that you want. And then here's this promise. And I, I over, you know, when I'm preparing, when I was preparing this, I, I just overread that. So many times, just slip right by, by me that we can be a friend of God, the God who spoke everything to existence, who's going to judge the living and the dead, who has the power to 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 determine your eternal destination, says to you here in Huntington, West Virginia, and, and, and he knows everything you've ever done, every thought you've ever had. Isn't that crazy? Just to think that the Creator God knows every thought you've ever thought. I would not have any friends if you knew my thoughts. Here, God knows every one of my thoughts, and He wants to be my friend. I pray that encourages you this morning. Some of you are lonely you think nobody cares about me, and yet God's going, man, I want to be your friend. I'll be there for you when no one else will be. So here you have friendship with God or friendship with the world. There's no neutral ground. If you're a friend of the world, then you're an enemy of God. There's not like I can be a friend of the world and get you know, my thrills with the things of the world and live a different way. And yet still be in right standing with God. You're an enemy in that moment. There's hostility. It's terrible news. But I love that the Bible doesn't stop at the terrible news. That there's always the good news. Are you thankful for the good news this morning? The good news of the gospel? So that's who... That's what's going on in us. There's this battle taking place that we've cheated. We've committed adultery against this faithful groom of ours, God. He's been so faithful. We've taken the gifts he's given us and we've used them against him to make friends with the world. <sighs> I feel so just wicked and not worthy. And then he says this. Look at this. This is the good news. Verse 5 and 6. He says, Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scriptures says? I love that James points to Scripture. He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us. Now, commentaries will talk about how difficult it is to understand what, what it means that that, that he yearns jealously over the spirit. Is it, does this mean like the soul in us that we're all created with uh, material, body, immaterial, soul, spirit? And so is that what he's talking about or does he mean the Holy Spirit that he's put inside you? Um, and, and, and so that's why like most of your, your, your Bibles would have lowercase s that it's talking about your body, like who you are, that he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. Uh, and so here's this picture of God watching us commit adultery. And just as if in, you know, if in a marriage, if you see, a, if you see your spouse being unfaithful, this is, this is a good jealousy, um, this is what the Bible talks about even in Exodus, um, that God is a jealous God. This is a good thing for us, that God is jealous for his bride, for us. That means he's, he's pursuing us. And so look at this language. We've committed adultery, but yet he's pursuing us. He, he's coming after us. I just want you to think, I know the demographic of our congregation is so mixed. There's, 
many of you are, are, are married, but we have probably more singles than we do married couples here. I just either, if you're married, think about your situation. If, if you're single, think about the, the what ifs. If your spouse committed adultery against you, and maybe use some of the very things that you'd given them to gain leverage to commit adultery, what are the emotions going through you? Are you chasing after them? Are you jealous for their attention? Or you just want them out? I'm done. I'm through. Get out of my life. You hurt me so badly. I can't stand to look at you. God says, I know what you've done. I know what you've been doing. And I'm still crazy about you. I love you. I love you. And he says, but he gives more grace. When you think his grace has run out, he grants more grace. When you think, I have sinned so bad, I cannot believe I've done this against the Lord, go to him. He has more grace. I mean, it's a bag. He keeps reaching in and there's something else inside it every time. Look, there's more grace. Keep coming back. I mean, it's like Mary Poppins. Just keep reaching in. There's something else. God is, His grace is unlimited for us. But I want you to see this. It's so important. I want you to see to where His grace, it's, it's pointed towards someone. It's not just unconditional here. There is a condition God gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Who's the humble in this situation? The humble is the one that sins against God, who, keep running with this metaphor, who's had an affair, but comes back begging for mercy. Please, I, I messed up, I shouldn't have done that, can you forgive me? And God says, absolutely, absolutely, continues to give grace, but the grace is given to the humble. Another, um, another way to see this whole um, desires is, is the ask the only if, you know, only if. If only if I had this, then, then I would be satisfied or happy or content. The only if game will give you a lot about your heart. So I, when you see symptoms here, fighting, quarreling, murder, um, when you see the diagnosis, it's, it's within the heart. There's desires just at, at war within you, just battle taking place. And when you see the kindness that the Lord has given us, um, I want you to see the remedy here. 7 through 10, you see the remedy. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So we're submitting, uh, we're, we're, come, we're drawing near, we're... We're resisting the devil. And man, I, I think we do a terrible job talking about spiritual warfare. I think some churches go overboard, and I think we're probably borderline sinful the other way. We just don't even talk about the devil enough. I think some churches probably blame the devil for everything, and I think that's wrong as well, because you don't think about yourself. It's not the devil. The devil didn't make you do it. You did it. But there may be temptations from the devil. Um, then there's other churches that do, we just don't even, that's kind of spooky. Might freak people out if we talk about the devil and the demons and spiritual warfare. It's real. And, and so, but I love, I love this language here. 
Resist the devil and he will flee. Not he might or he could. He will flee. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Christ is victorious over Satan. And so we don't have to fear Satan. Um, we, don't, we don't have to like be afraid to even talk about Satan. Like, we, we are victorious. But there's still this battle taking place. And so this is, these are, this is remedy. How do, we, how do we work through the, um, the, the hard issues? Submit. Resist. Verse 8, draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I love that. Remember who we were? Adulterous people. And He says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Could you take that spouse back? Would you draw near to them? Or would you still just have an arm's length? He draws near. But I want you to see this order. Before we ever draw near to him in verse 8, what has he already done? He's already been jealous over us. He's already been pursuing us. So he's, he's, he's moving way before we ever move. He's coming. He's chasing after you today. And he's saying, draw near. And then he says, I will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. This double-minded language goes back to chapter 1. You remember that? This double-minded man, he's unstable in all his ways. And, and so you can't live two lives. As a Christian, you can't live this life loving the world and in love with God. You just, you're a double-minded man. You, you, just, you can't do that. It's the whole imagery here in chapter 3 of a salt pond can't yield fresh water. An olive tree can't produce figs. You, you, you can't do that. You're just playing a game. You're just being, trying to be moral, but you're still lost. Your heart is wicked. And so he's saying this, cleanse your hands, confess purity. Again, this is going back to who's the wise man. He's first pure. Christians are not perfect, but we're repentant. We are repentant people that when we mess up, when we sin, we are repentant. We, we um, are cleansing ourselves. We are confessing our sins. Verse 9, he continues with the remedy. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Yet let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now, that seems strange. What in the world are you talking about? Why would you be, you know, why would your laughter be turned to mourning? What he's saying is, some of you Christians, you, you have such, you, like, your sins, you just kind of laugh at. It's not a big deal. And James is saying, you should weep over your sin, not laugh. Can you believe what I did today? No, you should weep over what you've done today. You shouldn't make light of it. And we should weep. Verse 10. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will exalt you. The man who tries to exalt himself, God will always humble him. But the man who humbles himself and allows the Lord to work in his life, God will do the exalting. God will make much of you. You don't have to try to win other people's approval at work or in your neighborhood or at school. You humble yourself and let God exalt you. He will raise you up. This is the picture of, of Philippians 2, the great uh, dissension where Jesus left the throne. He 
humbled himself by becoming a man, dying on a cross. And then what does Philippians 2 remind us? That God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on, he and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus humbled himself. The Father exalted him. So many of us, we want the attention. We want the praise. We want the honor. We want to be exalted. And James says that's a dangerous path. That man will be humbled. God will humble you. He will rip those things from you. But the man who is humble, who just seeks after the Lord, repent of, tries to be faithful, the humble man will be exalted. Your life will be changed, and that's what 11 and 12 was about, how your life should look differently. So he gets back, this is the book, and this is... He, um, ends here with about your tongue, how you treat each other. Verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let me just quickly um, unpack this, because this can be a little confusing. Um, this will be a verse that we rip out of context of Scripture and may use, well, why are you judging me? Um, the Bible often speaks, New Testament language speaks that as Christians, we are supposed to judge one another. 1 Corinthians 5, Matthew 7. Uh, what this is talking about is judging a soul. I cannot judge your soul. I don't have the power. I don't have the ability to see your heart. That's what this passage is about, your heart. I cannot judge your soul. But what we are called to do as Christians is, uh, as the bride of Christ, that's what 1 Corinthians 5 is talking about, if someone's living an impure life, if they've committed sin, if someone's wronged somebody, we do... Christians are supposed to confront other Christians. Um, and, and because if we love them, that's what we would do. If, if, I, if I've got something wrong in my life, I want you to confront me. Uh, I invite you to do that. I, I want that. That's what's best for me. Um, we are not called to judge the world. 1 Corinthians 5 says, We are not called to judge the out, outsiders. So you, we're not, Christians should not look down upon the those outside of Christianity, but if we're in Christ, like, we're, all throughout the New Testament, you see the accountability between church family. And that's part of what it is what it is to be a member here. That's why we do um, um, our recognition with members, and we do, the, you know, one another's. Um, we're inviting each other to um, hold each other accountable. This is talking about uh, this idea of someone who is above the law, um, and so they don't, they don't, they're exalting themselves above God's law. And, and, and God says, you're going to be humbled, that you don't exalt yourself above me, uh, that you humble yourself, and those who have humbled themselves will submit to God's law. And that's a way that you can see if someone's submitting to God is, are they obedient to Scripture? Um, do you obey Scripture? And, and we all um, uh, rebel from God at some point, but then do we repent and come back? And that's what this picture is. Do you humble yourselves, or do you just make yourself above the law, and I don't have to be judged by God or anybody else because I'm above. I exalt myself. I'm a prideful man. I'll do whatever I want. Or do you humble yourself and follow Jesus? I'm going to invite the band to come back and I'll be in the back here if you want to just talk, but just this idea of will love of self draw me from God or will love of God draw me from myself? 
that's ultimately what's going on in all of our hearts this morning. Will love of self, you know, my plan, my way, my world, will that draw me away from God? Or will the love of God, knowing that He's pursuing me in my affair, He's pursuing me as a jealous groom, that love of God, will that draw me away from myself? What love are you after this morning? The love of you and your plan or the love of God and His way and His plan? If you need to talk this morning and just pray, I'll be in the back. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've always just lived this life on your own, and maybe this morning the Holy Spirit's telling you today's the day you need to surrender and humble yourself, I would love to pray with you. I'll be in the back. Talk to whoever invited you. Don't leave this place today. If you feel that conviction, that's God speaking. That's God drawing near to you. And he's inviting you now to draw near to him. It's your turn this morning. So as we continue to, to sing, draw near to God who loves you, who's jealous for you. He's pursuing your heart this morning. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would draw near to you. That as we have walked away from you so many times, that you have been so faithful you have never walked away from us. It may seem like you have, but it's us, the ones that's moved away. So, Lord, may we draw close to you this morning. May you convict us of our sins. Help us, Lord, to see the wickedness, to see the depths of our hearts. That we need you. I pray that you would shine a light in our hearts this morning. That we could see those desires that have become demands. Lord, I pray that you would convict us of our sin. I pray that you would encourage us. Lord, may you repair the brokenness. And may we celebrate this morning as, as brides coming to our groom. And we are so thankful for the good news. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.